There are lots of people who are willing to be fans of Jesus. People who are willing to be enthusiastic admirers of him. But Jesus is looking for more than just us to be a fan of him. Because he's called us to follow him, to be committed in our relationship with him, and in also in living for him, in serving him. And as we've seen over the past couple of weeks, this includes sharing the message of Jesus with others. Talking about our faith to others. A couple of weeks ago we were thinking about how we should do this out of obedience. Because if we love him, then we'll want to fulfill his call on our lives. Last week we were also thinking about how we should do this out of compassion. Because if we love others, then we'll want to reach out to them. Because they are in, in, in need. But if we're going to keep on going with the gospel, then we also need to work with conviction. Because we need to believe that Jesus is the only hope for this world. We're going to read from Luke chapter 5. We're just spending five weeks in Luke chapter 5. And we're in verse 17 down to verse 26 this morning. If you have a Bible, you can open it up. If not, just listen as I read it to you. So this is Luke chapter 5, verse 17. One day, as he, that's Jesus, was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law, who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, were sitting there. And the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. Some men came, carrying a paralytic on a mat, and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking. And asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately, he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, We have seen remarkable things today. It really is amazing the lengths that these men went to to bring their friend to Jesus. They came carrying a paralytic on a mat to take him to the house to lay him before Jesus. Verse 18. They clearly loved their friend. They were willing to get involved in his life and in his problems. 
And they didn't get tired of caring for him, even when this man could do absolutely nothing for them in return. Now, of course, these friends couldn't heal this man. They couldn't fix his problem. That was beyond their ability. But they were willing to do everything that they could do. And that meant carrying this man to Jesus. It also meant not giving up when they couldn't find a way to do this because of the crowd. This meant not being defeated when nobody would move out of the way to let them in through to Jesus. They were willing to go literally above and beyond what might have been expected. Willing to put the effort in of carrying this man upstairs, up into the the outside steps, up into the flat roof of this house. This roof is probably made of branches and rushes, laid over beams and then covered with mud tiles. So it was relatively simple to dig through the tiles. And so they lowered this man through his, eh, on his mat, through the tiles, into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. It wasn't the most difficult thing in the world to do, but even so, they had to expect that the owner of the house wouldn't be happy as he, he sat in his house and watched somebody make a big hole in his roof. So they had to be willing to face the anger, and maybe even the cost of repairing this roof, if needed. And we also need to face the criticism of those who disagreed with her actions. And maybe who were annoyed at being interrupted as they were listening to Jesus' teaching. But that's what real love does. Real love leads us to work for the benefit of others. Even when it's difficult. Even when it's costly. Real love doesn't give up. Real love isn't easily put off. It is committed. It is faithful. It is active. It is sacrificial. As we were thinking about last week, this is the kind of love that needs to motivate us in our evangelism, in our telling other people about Jesus, sharing the message of Jesus with others. So the question is, do we love people enough? To bring them to Jesus. Do we love people enough to let their needs disturb our plans and our agendas? Do we love people enough to cover the cost of this ministry? Because it's costly. Kids camps, youth camps, family fun days, they cost. Giving out these booklets, they cost money. Are we willing to cover that cost? Do we love people enough to face the criticisms of those who say, oh, you're taking this too far. Oh, you're you're going too much into this thing. You just need to pull back a little bit. This is what John says in his letter. Let us love, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Let's not just talk about loving people. Let's not just talk about loving those who don't know Jesus yet. Let's put that love into action. Let's live that out. Do we love people enough to do everything that we can to bring them to Jesus? 
But these men didn't do all of this just because they cared about their friend. When Jesus looked at these four men dropping their friend through the roof, it says that Jesus saw their faith. Jesus saw their faith. Of course, Jesus often showed in his life that he knew what people were thinking in their hearts. He could see into their hearts and he could see their their hidden thoughts, their hidden ideas, their fears, their doubts, their weaknesses, their pride. But I don't think that's what's going on here. And said, I think Jesus saw their faith as it was expressed in their actions. He saw what they'd done and he recognised this as the evidence of their faith. Because that's what real faith does. Faith expresses itself in actions. Listen to what James writes in his letter. James chapter 2. Faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. So if we're here this morning, and we're claiming to have faith in Jesus, but our lives are exactly the same as what they were before we put our faith in Jesus, James would challenge us and ask, is that really living faith? Because real faith will always impact what we do. Real faith will alter our attitudes. Real faith will reorganize our priorities. And real faith will gradually, and I emphasize the gradually bit, transform our lives. How we live is then the test of the vitality of our faith. It's evidence of what we're convinced of. And I think this is particularly true of evangelism. Because for most of us, as Carol said, it's difficult. It makes demands on us. It's not easy to stand up and tell somebody about Jesus. It's not easy to sit over a coffee and and share your faith with somebody, not knowing how they're going to respond. It's not easy running kids' camps or youth camps. It's not easy putting leaflets through people's doors, not knowing if they're going to uh, welcome it or, or, or reject it. It's not easy also because if you're like me, then often you don't feel very good at it. But there's something else going on here. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. Our mission is the continuation of the mission of Christ in this world. As the Father sent Jesus into the world to seek and to save the lost, so Jesus is sending us into the world to continue this work. And so we shouldn't be surprised that people respond to us the way that they responded to Jesus. That means that people won't come to faith every time we tell them about our faith in Jesus. Every time we may tell them the message of the gospel. Because that was Jesus' experience. 
John chapter 1, verse 11. Jesus came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Many people rejected Jesus. So we'll need incredible perseverance to keep on loving people and keep on looking for opportunities to share this wonderful message of God's love with them. We'll also be confronted with the blindness sometimes of those who we speak to. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the glory of Christ. Have you ever experienced that? You're sharing your faith in Jesus. You're sharing this most amazing message of Jesus that you can think of, the the most amazing news in the whole wide world. And somebody looks at you as if there's just nothing there. They just don't get it. They can't see why it's so exciting. At those times, only to keep on praying for God to open up eyes and hearts and minds to the truth. And just like with these men bringing their friend to Jesus, other people sometimes are going to get in the way. Sometimes this is going to be unbelievers. Sometimes it might be even other Christians will try and shut us up. Will tell us to keep quiet. To tell us not to do this anymore. And at those times we need to remember that Jesus said, no servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If people put Jesus to death on a cross because they wanted to shut him up, then we shouldn't be surprised if some people don't want to listen to what we have to share about him. So if we answer God's call to evangelism, then we will face opposition and criticism and ridicule and disappointments and setbacks and seeming dead ends. That's what it's like. So what can these four men who brought their friend to Jesus teach us, encourage us to help us to keep going in this really difficult job of sharing the message of Jesus with the world? What can we learn from these four guys? Well, first of all, I think these men were convinced of the seriousness of the problem. They brought their friend to Jesus because they believed that their friend's paralysis was a major problem. Now, you may think this was relatively easy to see because it was obvious for these men. But probably what they were not so aware of was their friend's deeper need. Not his paralyzed body, but his desperate spiritual need. That's why when Jesus saw their faith, he didn't respond as they expected by healing his body initially, but he responded by saying, friend, your sins are forgiven. That wasn't because Jesus didn't care about this man's body. As we'll see later, he dealt with that as well. Neither was this because this man's personal sin had led to this illness. That's not what Jesus was saying at all. Jesus challenged this idea that said, well, if somebody is ill, then they've done something to deserve it. He challenged that idea completely. For example, once he came, him and his disciples, Jesus and his disciples came across a man who'd been blind from birth. 
And the disciples asked Jesus, who sinned? This man or his parents? This man was blind. So somebody must be to blame for this. Was it the man's fault or was it his parents' fault? But Jesus completely refused this idea. And he said, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Now, of course, if we reject God's ways, then there are consequences for that in our life. But, there is no simple correlation between personal sin and personal suffering. Instead, Jesus spoke first about forgiveness because forgiveness was this man's greatest need. Before he needed his body healed, much more importantly, he needed his sins forgiven. Although his paralysis was a serious situation, it was not as serious as his sin. His paralysis would have prevented him from living life as he wanted to, but his sin would have robbed him of life completely. His paralysis would dominate his years on earth, but his sin would send him to a lost eternity. His paralysis would impact his relationships with his friends and his family, but his sin would separate him from God forever. That's because the wages of sin is death. Eternal death, spiritual death, separation from God forever in hell. So if our sin is not dealt with, then we're going to lose everything. So forgiveness of that sin is our greatest need. And I think we'll only be convinced and committed to sharing the gospel if we're convinced of that truth. That our greatest need, more than anything else, is for our sins to be forgiven. But secondly, these men were not only convinced of this man's need, they're also convinced that Jesus could heal him. This is why they did everything to lay him before Jesus. They went to Jesus because they believed that Jesus could heal this man. And in our evangelism, we're only going to be committed to do that if we're convinced not only that people are lost, but that Jesus can save them. That Jesus has the power to forgive sins. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law who were there that day, they didn't believe that. When Jesus declared this man's sins forgiven, they said, "Eh, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now in a sense, what they were saying was true, wasn't it? Only God can forgive sins because sin is rebellion against God. And against his standards and his, his call on our lives. So only God can forgive them. But of course, what the Pharisees and the teachers of the law did not recognize was that Jesus is God. Or as Paul writes in Colossians chapter 2, in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Jesus is fully God, so he can, he has the, the right to forgive sins. But more than that, Jesus can forgive sins not only because he is God, but much more importantly because he is the one who went to the cross to pay for our sins. So if we put our faith in Jesus, 
then in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Jesus is the only one who can forgive our sins. The Pharisees didn't understand any of this. But that day Jesus gave them the evidence they needed to believe it. Jesus showed that he had the power to miraculously heal this man's body when he said to him, I tell you, get up, take up your mat and go home. Immediately this man got up and picked up his mat and walked out praising God. But did you notice why Jesus healed this man's body? Verse 24. He said that, Jesus said that he did this so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Jesus did the visible thing, forgiving or healing this man's body, so that everyone there could know that he had the power to do the invisible thing, forgiving this man's sin. Jesus did the difficult thing, so that everyone could know that Jesus could do the impossible thing of forgiving his sins. And we'll only be committed to bringing people to Jesus if we truly believe that Jesus has the power to forgive sins. If we can say with Paul, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. So do you believe that Jesus has the power to forgive sins? But I think we need to go further than this. These men were willing to go to such great lengths, breaking through a roof, dropping a guy right down in front of Jesus. They were willing to go to such great lengths to bring their friend to Jesus, not only because they believed that Jesus had the power to forgive him or to heal him, but because they believed that Jesus was the only one who could heal him. If they thought that Jesus was just one of many healers who could heal this man, well, they would have gone somewhere else once it got really tough or really difficult. It is that conviction that drove the apostles to keep on speaking about Jesus even when they faced incredible opposition. When Peter and John were interrogated by the Sanhedrin, threatened that if they kept on speaking about Jesus, they were going to go be arrested again, they were going to be executed or whatever. This is what they said. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. I know that this is not politically correct these days. Today, we're supposed to believe that there are many different roads to God. That as long as somebody sincerely believes what they believe, well, they'll eventually get to God. But that's not what the Bible says. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus himself said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only way to God. So outside of faith in Jesus, everyone that we love and care about is lost and heading to a lost eternity. This is not something that we just made up because it sounds good. It doesn't. It's, it's heartbreaking, isn't it? 
But this is the truth of the gospel. That Jesus is the only way to God. Because he's the only mediator between God and men. He's the only sacrifice for our sins. He's the only way for us to be saved. And it's that conviction that will keep us going out to share the gospel with people. One just final point, please. These men that were convinced that their friend was in need and convinced that Jesus was the only one who could meet that need. But they didn't just sit back and wait for this man to get to Jesus and get healed. They knew that he couldn't get there on his own. They knew that he needed their help. And each one of them was involved. All four of them was needed to carry this man to Jesus. And that is a conviction that we need if we are going to be involved in in building God's kingdom. We need to be convinced that we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God was making his appeal through us. It's really easy to think that our role in all of this is unimportant or unnecessary. After all, surely somebody else could do it better than I can. Somebody is more capable. Somebody else is more effective. We could leave it to them to do. But the reality is, God uses all kinds of different people to bring people to His Son. In the New Testament, many people were brought to Jesus by amazing missionary preachers like Peter, or Barnabas, or Paul, as they travelled around the area, speaking in religious services, in city streets, in marketplaces, in people's homes. But other people were brought to Jesus through a whole load of different ministries. Peter himself, he was brought to Jesus by his brother, a guy called Andrew. I remember that one. Nathaniel, He was brought to Jesus by his friend, Philip. The town of Sychar was brought to Jesus by a woman who was kind of like an ostracized uh, outcast of her society because of her bad reputation in the town. The Ethiopian civil servant, he was brought to, to Jesus by a guy called Philip who he just met on a journey. Cornelius' friends, they were brought to Jesus because Cornelius opened his home, invited all of them, and invited Peter to speak to them. And Timothy? Timothy was brought to Jesus by his mum and his grandmother, women called Eunice and Lois. All sorts of different people, in all sorts of different situations. And God wanted to work through all of them. This work is a partnership. One person can't do it. This is what Paul wrote about this. He says, I planted the seed. I shared the message. Apollos watered it. He added to it. But it was God who made it grow. Yes, only God can save somebody. Only God can open somebody's heart to to, to Jesus. But God has a role for each one of us. To get involved in that. Whatever it is. God has placed his hand on us and he's called us. So if we want to be a follower of Jesus and not just a fan, 
If we want to be somebody who puts our faith into action, then we need to be convinced that people are in great spiritual need. That Jesus can heal them. That he is the only answer. And that we are all needed to bring people to him. It's this conviction that will help us to keep on going with the glorious gospel to a dead and dying world. So that we may see God do remarkable things in our generation.